fighting financial crime. It's all about artificial intelligence, machine learning, and taking the graph all the way back to the 18th century. This week on Bankadelic. From the studios of Karma Productions Worldwide in Chicago, this is Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic. Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance, where we supply expert views, riff on the news, innovate and investigate, actionable insights, unscripted banking with a caffeine kick. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, inviting you to sit back, grab a cuppa, kick up your feet. Here we go. Welcome to another episode of Bankadelic. And here we are coming from the studio of Karma Productions Worldwide, recently moved into our shelter-in-place bunker. And today, based in Cleveland, we have Jason Somrak. Jason is the Chief of Graph Product and Strategy for Oracle Financial Crime and Compliance Management. In this role, Jason is responsible for advanced technologies such as graph analytics to help financial institutions better fight money laundering, and other financial crimes. Previously, Jason worked in various roles at PNC and KeyBank, where he managed teams responsible for compliance. He has designed solutions to identify human and labor trafficking, among other crimes. He holds a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from Tiffin University. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Lou. It's great to be here. Now, this statistic I have heard before, it's probably new to many in our audience, the UN estimates that each year, as much as $2 trillion, not billion, not million, $2 trillion is laundered globally. I'm wondering if you could describe the scope of that problem and how financial institutions have traditionally addressed it. Yeah, so great question, Lou. You know, when we talk about the two trillion, it's a good number, but we're talking about people that are trying to stay hidden and trying to stay under the radar. So if we equate it to something current day, it's sort of like our COVID testing situation, right? Where, you know, the experts are predicting we have many, many more people that actually have it. We anticipate that number to be much higher than two trillion, actually. Yikes. So when we talk about how institutions have addressed this problem for many years, the key problem they're trying to solve is really to answer the five W's if you take it down to the highest level, which is who, what, when, where, and why. And there's been two main sort of approaches to do this, to overgeneralize them a little bit, one being a logical rules-based where they take red flags from the government and they map them and they try to build hard code rules to trip over activity. And the second being a more advanced analytics approach. How do those approaches work? And what kind of success rate have financial institutions seen in general? Yeah, great question. So rules generically look for sort of these broad items, and they have wide open thresholds to detect them. One of the red flags that we might have a rule for, this is straight from regulator manual, is we want to look for funds transfers, activity that's unexplained, repetitive, or shows unusual patterns. So you can imagine just trying to think about that, how you would try to catch that. You're going to write some sort of rule or threshold and try to look for that funds transfer activity. So the result of this is very, very high false positive rates. 98% in the industry is common. Some are even worse than that. So for every 100 alerts that an analyst looks at, 98% of them are going to be Lou buying a property and transferring money in and out to buy that property. Wow. How about that? So, you know, because there's also these hard thresholds that are set, it means that the activity occurring below the line of those thresholds, you have a burden to monitor that as well. So these firms have to do continuous tuning, 
continually look at that activity below the level and see if they're missing anything there. So it's a challenge because you deal with a high number of false positives and you know, you're subject to really a lot of times poor data quality. Now the natural segue coming out of that is the types of new technology. What's being used by financial institutions to better tackle financial crime? Yeah, so I think there's a couple different approaches and I use, you know, new technology a little bit with a grain of salt. So like you have tools in your toolbox to build something at home, there's a lot of different solution technologies that we can leverage to fight financial crime. So some of them being artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, and graph analytics. So again, I said new quote unquote, but, you know, just to give you a little bit of a history lesson, you know, when we talk about graph analytics, the what's viewed as the first paper in the history of graph theory was written in 1736. Whoa, uh, <laughs> that's when I was born, I think. <laughs> yeah, and it's pretty similar, actually, for the underpinnings of machine learning and AI. So Bayes' theorem was published in 1763. And what's interesting about Bayes' theorem is the whole theory describes the probability that an event may be related to another event based on some prior knowledge or conditions. And the goal is to really treat these events and tests differently. So tests have a high false positive rate, as we know, versus the actual occurrence. So this is a natural sort of segue as to how firms are using machine learning today and trying to understand the likelihood that out of those hundred alerts that we talked about before, can we use machine learning to predict the two that are going to be productive and prioritize them in the workflow? That's one of the ways in which we're using machine learning to help the fight against financial crime. Now, I got to say, I have talked to so many people in the world of compliance, fraud, artificial intelligence. You are the very first to cite research from the Revolutionary War period. <laughs> you ought to teach on Coursera or Khan Academy. Speaking of being the guy to teach us, wondering if you can drill a little bit deeper into the machine learning element and even the unsupervised techniques that look below the line of thresholds and that can monitor dark spots. Take us through. Yeah, so that's another sort of more sophisticated technique is and we talked earlier about the rules based and having to do these sort of manual tuning processes to understand what's there. You know, a lot of firms are experimenting with unsupervised learning that either, you know, just completely runs and looks in the dark spots of scenarios where thresholds don't even operate so that you can find anomalous behavior that you would otherwise never find. Or some institutions are actually running these unsupervised models as challengers. So they're sort of meant to mimic that more traditional regulator accepted red flag coverage, but it looks at them in a way that allows them to sort of look sans thresholds and report all that activity back. So that's another interesting way in which firms are using machine learning. And the stereotype, of course, is that fraudsters and the criminals are working in isolation in some attic in some faraway country, when in fact there's a bit of a resemblance, more than a bit, to financial crime organizations. Yeah, that's a great point. So that's where we've really researched a lot and developed a lot on the graph analytics front. And that's where we see it really as one of the key solution technologies in the complement of these other ones. And we talked earlier how graph theory has been around for a while. And the way I usually explain 
some people just assume graph is just a, you know, a Tableau report or some business report that they look at. But, you know, the example I use is when the internet sort of was first around and people were leveraging search engines and your problem that you had was you want to search something and you need to find it. And if you went to my old favorite ones like Ask Jeeves or AltaVista, the problem is, is you would have to look through 10, 12, 15 pages before you'd find anything of relevance to you. And so Google had this theory, well, Larry Page had the theory of, hey, you know, these things are much better indexed by relationships and understanding how we analyze the relationships among websites. And that was really the game changer for Google is saying, you know, it's not how many links exist to a given website, but what is the importance of those websites that are linking to it and vice versa. And to us, there's really no greater parallel than that to financial crime. And to your point, Lou, you know, the criminal organizations, it's all relationship based. If we're in a criminal ring together, we're interacting with each other, we may be sharing different points of information together. We're transacting with each other in a way. And to us, a graph is really a behavior and it's almost really a fingerprint. So when you talk about the different types of criminals, drug traffickers, human traffickers, they all sort of leave a specific fingerprint through a graph. And that's what's most exciting to us is we can then weaponize those behavior graphs against the institution's larger graph and find these people very proactively and root them out in ways that you would just never be able to see them before. And before I joined Oracle, one of my bosses went to a conference and they had started talking about human trafficking and he came back and he said, you know, we need to do something. What can we do about this? And keep in mind, this was, you know, almost 15 years ago now. And, you know, we didn't have big data. We didn't have graph analytics. So the burden on me was to go and pull all these manual data sources and go search the internet and look for ads and different things and try to compile all this together and come up with the fingerprint of what a human trafficker would look like. We were very successful in doing that. It was very laborious to do. But we were able to find that fingerprint and create a very productive scenario, which had 50 to 60% accuracy compared to what we talked about before. So now with graph, this only becomes easier, right? Essentially, we define a graph, we write it, and we can very easily hone in on this activity. So what took me a month before to do, you know, now I can do in, in really an hour or two. How about that? And to that end, you've been doing some really exciting work with your partners at Oracle Labs. Take us through that a bit and what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, so that's actually where our graph technology comes from. It's not that we're just applying graph theory, but Oracle Labs has some of the smartest people in the world coming from Stanford and Munich Tech and many of the other great universities around the world. And they developed Oracle PGX, which is our parallel graph analytics engine. It's an in-memory graph that not only allows for the modeling of these relationships and detection, but it allows us to do the deep learning on the graph to find those. And more importantly, it really gives investigators an ability that they've never had before to much more quickly and easily understand unusual and normal activity. So the way investigators fight crime even to most of this day is they fight it in spreadsheets, right? And they fight it in rows of data. And we put a lot of onus on them to do manual things like gathering data and trying to make these connections between rows of data. Actually, when they see it in a graph, and we give them things like graph analytics at their fingertips, like shortest path to a SAR, things like that. They can you know, make a decision on something, whether it's unusual or not, within minutes to sometimes it would take hours. So it's really not just a very pointed use case of saying, hey, we're using it to just predict the efficacy of an event, but we can leverage it across multiple different pillars within an institution to really modernize a whole compliance program. Given the enormous scope of the problem, I'm wondering what you think banks really need to do to make a dent in this financial crime you've described. Yeah, so it's not easy, right? 
To me, the biggest thing is unity. So, you know, many of our customers you're talking about, they operate compliance departments in the thousands of resources. And you've got sort of this constant competing priority of how do we make our everyday operations efficient? And how do we drive towards this long-term strategic goal of driving away from rules-based solely and being able to look at things from a multidimensional perspective? So, it's absolutely critical that all parties are aligned within the firm and sort of have this common goal and understanding. But you also have to realize that there's a massive amount of people change that goes along with this as well, too. It's not just, hey, here's a way to do it and you're alone and you know everything's going to be great. People are tending to look at more complex cases, more complex things. And they're taking in not necessarily more data, but they have a much more holistic view now. So it requires a little bit of a different skill set. How you sort of balance that people change, operational change, along with the strategic goal is really important. And without that alignment and collaboration, it's really hard to adopt that new technology. If you decide, you know, hey, today I'm going to lose 20 pounds, you don't lose it all tomorrow. You've got to make those decisions day in and day out. If you slip up along that curve, your goal is ultimately going to suffer. Backlogs of alerts grow. Now firms are dealing with situations where they have everyone working from home and, you know, you have potential impacts to productivity. So doing that constant balance and understanding that, hey, this isn't going to happen tomorrow. It's a change that's going to benefit us all, but we all need to drive towards that. It's an important thing to be able to do. And without, you won't be setting yourself up for success. And understand how you're going to solve your whole problem. You're not going to eat the elephant in one bite overnight. It needs to happen sort of slowly and methodically. And I think ultimately we'll be better for it. We are better for having you on the podcast to generously share this information. Jason, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much, Lou. It's great to be here. Jason Somrak is the Chief of Graft Product and Strategy for Oracle Financial Crime and Compliance Management. Look for Jason on LinkedIn. Bankadelic. Sponsored by the William Mills Agency. For close to 40 years, the William Mills Agency has served hundreds of companies that provide a wide range of products and services in the banking, payments, mortgage, credit union, and related markets. The William Mills Agency is the largest provider of PR and marketing services for companies that market to the financial industry. For more information, visit williammills.com. Quantic is the adaptive digital bank that offers entrepreneurs, immigrants, millennials, low-income families, seniors, and others innovative banking products and services which embrace the diversity of circumstances that exist in the lives of customers while elevating their financial strength. For more information, visit QuanticBank.com. That's Q-U-O-N-T-I-C-Bank.com. No lie. My great-grandfather was a mafia don in South Philly. And if he were alive today, he'd say, Yeah, so, uh, what did we learn today? Just, uh, stay tuned for a second, and Luigi will tell you uh, this week on... Three Bullet Points. Number one. This is straight from regulator manual is we want to look for funds transfers activity that's unexplained, repetitive, or shows unusual patterns. The result is very, very high false positive rates. 98% in the industry is common. Some are even worse than that. 
Number two. Bayes' theorem was published in 1763, and the whole theory describes the probability that an event may be related to another event based on some prior knowledge or conditions. This is a natural sort of segue as to how firms are using machine learning today. Number three. To us, a graph is really a behavior, and it's almost really a fingerprint. So when you talk about the different types of criminals, drug traffickers, human traffickers, they all sort of leave a specific fingerprint through a graph, and that's what's most exciting to us, is we can then weaponize those behavior graphs against the institution's larger graph and find these people very proactively. And now Lou's views, which today is actually a tribute. Just this morning while I was editing the podcast, I received news that a dear friend, David Kirstein, had passed away. In the financial services industry, David was a sage and truly a giant. David and I met face to face at a coffee shop in Chicago where I thought we would have a quick 15 minute meeting and 15 minutes turned into 30 minutes, which turned into 45 minutes. I was looking down at my watch. I had an appointment to get to. I was panicking a bit, but decided that this was maybe a more important thing. That turned into an hour and that was the beginning of a fantastic relationship that we had. David ran the Peak Performance Group based in suburban Austin, Texas, and was really a community gatherer within the industry and just the ultimate authority on branches and what it took to make branches work in the 21st century. He had a great sense of humor. He was wonderful to collaborate with. And our time together forms the backbone, I think, of what banking and financial services are all about, relationships. David, I'll miss you. This week's episode of Bankadelic is dedicated to you. Rest in peace. Thanks for being a terrific friend. Thanks for tuning in to Bankadelic. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault. Our producer in Chicago is Jenny Elman. Thanks again to the William Mills Agency for their generous sponsorship. Thanks also to Quantic. I'm Lou Carlozo. You can catch me on LinkedIn. And when I'm all done those Chicago dogs, I'll be linked out. Until next time, so long. Bankadelic is a production of Karma Productions Worldwide, Chicago.